Hi, my name is Jill, and I'm a deacon here at Mercy View. I'll be reading today from Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the, ro the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are visiting with us tonight, I want to echo Elizabeth's uh, welcome to you. Pray you're encouraged by your time with us so far. We'd love to meet you after we're done here and uh, get to know you, your story a little bit. Well, one of my favorite uh, things to do every Christmas season um, we don't seem to do it maybe every Christmas, but most Christmases at our home, um, we love watching a Charlie Brown Christmas. Anybody else watch Charlie Brown Christmas? Yeah. Can you believe that we're approaching almost 60 years that the Charlie Brown Christmas has been uh, on, on the television? Yeah, it's crazy that something has lasted that, that long. But there's a reason why I believe that something like that has stayed in the cultural consciousness of a place like the United States of America. Now, the most meaningful moment in the entire show is one that many of you know well. Um, it's the moment where Linus gets up on stage with a security blanket and recites Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, right? The story of uh, the angels coming to the shepherds and telling them about the arrival of Jesus. But there's one important thing in that scene that you may have not noticed. In fact, I didn't notice this until recently e either. If you're familiar with Charlie Brown, you're familiar with the, the whole Peanuts family, uh, Lucy and Snoopy and, and Charlie and Brown and others are relentlessly trying to get Linus to give up his blanket, right? To try to get him to separate himself from this thing that is a, a major source of security for Linus. And in the climactic scene in a Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, where Linus is sharing what Christmas is all about, he gets to a couple of words in that Luke 2 passage where something very interesting happens. He gets to the two words where the angels say to the shepherds, fear not. And when Linus says, fear not, he drops the blanket. And I'm convinced that the dropping of the blanket was intentional by the writer, Charles Schultz, who many believe was a, a Christian. And, and I, I think it's really clear 
what Schultz was trying to communicate. The birth of Jesus is meant to separate us from our fears. The birth of Jesus is meant to free us from the habits that you and I are seemingly unable to or unwilling to break ourselves. The birth of of Jesus is meant to allow us to drop the false sense of security that we have been grasping at so tightly and to learn to trust in him and cling to him instead. Are you holding a blanket tonight? Each Christmas season, we are invited to enter into a time called Advent. We're in that season right now as a church here at Mercy View. And Advent, really for us as Christians on this side of the cross, is really twofold. We're, we're looking back at the way that those first Christians would have been waiting on the first coming of Jesus, the first Advent. But you and I are also, because we're on the other side of the cross, looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. You could actually argue that what you and I are living in now is the second advent. And in this time during the Christmas season, we are invited to look to Christ. Last week, we looked at the way that Christ was promised from Genesis chapter 3 in the very beginning of all of the scriptures. And tonight, we're looking at a, a major prophet in the Old Testament as well, predicting the birth of Jesus as well. And these are opportunities for us to regard his first coming and to regard his second coming, looking to the second coming of Christ and considering what are the ways that are best for us to wait on Jesus. Like there are good ways to wait and there are bad ways to wait, right? So in this Advent season, we want to recover, maybe rediscover the right way to wait on Jesus. And so as we do this tonight, looking at Isaiah 9, I want to invite you to see two things. First, rejecting God leads to spiritual darkness. Rejecting God leads to spiritual darkness. But trusting in God always leads to spiritual light. Trusting in God always leads to spiritual light. Light. So if you have your Bible in hand or an electronic device, keep them open to Isaiah 9, uh, beginning there in verse 1. That's where we're going to start. Actually, we're going to look a little bit before Isaiah 9, but just for a little bit of context, uh, I want you to notice that the, the beginning of chapter 9 in, in, in the translation that we primarily use here at Mercy View, the ESV, starts with the word but. And you could translate that word as, as nevertheless or, or however. And when a chapter starts... With a word like that, you can know that whatever just happened is really important. So whatever is happening in chapter 8 is of great importance to us in understanding what is happening here at the very beginning of Isaiah chapter 9. At the end of chapter 8 of Isaiah, we see uh, a portion of God's people are greatly distressed. They are hungry. They are angry. They are criticizing their king. They're actually criticizing God. They are absolutely a despairing people. And I want you to notice something just a few verses um, uh, uh, earlier in, in verse 19 of Isaiah 8. It says that they are looking to something in particular. It said that they are looking to mediums 
and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Now, some of you might know what a medium is. The, the term ne- necromancer is not a term we hear a whole lot today anymore. But here's what, what's happening in verse 19. And, and then in verse 22, really, Isaiah spells it out. He says, what, what's happening here is that there are a, a, a portion of God's people looking to the earth, is what he says in verse 22, which is another way of saying God's people are looking, because of what they're walking through, the distress that they feel, they're looking at earthly things, earthly voices, horizontal voices, and they they are needing leadership. And so instead of looking to God, they're looking to people. They're no longer looking to the one that they had been following. They're no longer fearing the one that they had been showing respect and revering, but they are now trusting in some way in man to guide them. And where does that lead them? All of these lead them to enter into something that Isaiah calls spiritual darkness. Actually, in in the very uh, end of that chapter, in verse 23, he calls it the gloom of anguish. So they are moving in in some way into a a thick darkness uh, of spiritual confusion. Uh, The idea here is this. God's people are willingly walking into the dense fog of their own doing. Away from the wisdom of God, away from the presence of God, into this gloom of anguish. So how did they get there? Well, we have to look back even further in chapter 8, verse 13. Let me just read what it says. It says, But the Lord of hosts, this is Isaiah speaking, Him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, this is a little confusing, but here's what Isaiah is trying to say here. God's people, Jerusalem and Judah, that's a part of what these groups that he's talking about here. He is saying through the prophet Isaiah, guys, if you will fear me, if you will follow me, if you will listen to me, the the wisdom that I have, the strength that I can provide, I can be a sanctuary for you. But if in your fear you turn away from me, I will be a snare to you. I'll actually be a stumbling block to you. So for those that see the Lord as holy, who fear him, respect him, revere him, God is a shelter, a shield, a defender in the midst of that fear. But for those who don't, he becomes a snare. And it is this group, the one that is rejecting God, turning away from God, finding God as a snare and as a stumbling block that is moving into spiritual exile. Here's the first thing I want to invite you to see this evening. Rejecting God leads to spiritual darkness. See, Isaiah is telling us something about the world here and about our own hearts that is very sobering. When we encounter difficulty, when we encounter suffering, when we encounter hurts, we tend to first look to horizontal solutions. 
God's people here are going to the mystics, the astrologers. That's what a necromancer is, by the way. You and I may not literally go to a, a mystic of some kind, an astrologer, but we do something similar. We, we look for wisdom or seek wisdom from earthly opinions many times before we go to God or over and above God. Because we are desperate for answers, right? We, we are going, I need an answer. I've got to find some sort of resolution to this conflict that I feel inside of me so that these philosophical and psychological and sociological problems that I'm, I'm walking through can be solved. But there are no sufficient answers horizontally. Now, they may have a tinge of truth. But unless they are connected to the truth, they could lead us away from God. And the message of Isaiah here, and the message of Christmas really, is that the world and human life is a dark place the more that you look for solutions in the world. The darker that you... Uh, the more that you move into the world to try to find answers, the darker it actually gets. We don't see it that way. We don't articulate it that way. But that's the picture that Isaiah is painting here. In part, the message of Christmas is that there is some bad news about us. The reason we run to the mystics or the politicians or the therapists or the social media voices that we follow is because we're, we're trying to make sense of life. Or to say it another way, we're trying to find the light. And God, through his prophet Isaiah, is showing us the result of that search without God. Are you with me? The result of that search without God is that it ends in utter blackness. And here's what I really think is, is interesting. In a sense, Isaiah is giving us a part of the gospel message here. Almost every kind of non-Christian philosophy tries to console you when you're confronted with darkness like this. And this is what that philosophy says. Things aren't that bad. Just look on the bright side. Be optimistic. It's just going to turn out fine. Okay, just, just be positive. But that, that's not what Christianity says. Christianity is far more realistic than that. Christianity says things are bad. Things are bleak. And unless there is a rescue of some kind, you, me, we are destined for darkness. That's the first part of the gospel message. It's the first part of the gospel equation, you could say. It's the bad news of where we lead ourselves away from God into spiritual darkness, into spiritual blackness. Rejecting God leads to spiritual darkness. But then something miraculous happens as we enter into the passage that you heard read earlier. God would have been just in letting those who had rejected him move more deeply into the darkness of exile. He would be just in letting us move more deeply into the abyss of our rejection of him if that was our choice. 
But in the midst of the misery and hopelessness of this group of people who said, God, we've had enough of you, they discover something. Right? It's not something that, that uh, they came up with themselves. It's something that, that happened to them. It's something that came to them from beyond. And look there at verse 1. It says, hints at this by saying this, There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Uh, he just got done saying that, that this portion of the people of God are experiencing the gloom of anguish. And right at the very beginning of chapter uh, 9, verse 1, he says there's going to be no gloom for her who is in anguish. And then in verse 2, look at where it says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. I wonder if you see what is happening here. God, through his prophet Isaiah, is predicting an intervention. He is predicting a rescue. The darkness is going to be broken by the light. In the face of being rejected, God moves towards the rejecter. It is a mercy. It is not warranted. It is not merited. It is not earned, but it is given. This is the great rescue. This is the right resolution of those of us that walk in spiritual darkness. We were walking in darkness in our sin and our rejection of God, but God moved toward us with his grace. The bad news of the gospel was that you and I were hopeless without this pursuit, but in his great mercy, this is the second part of the gospel equation, God moves towards those who reject him with the gift of grace if we will place our faith and trust in it. Grace where there is sin. Light where there is darkness. This brings us to our Advent theme this week. It's where we see the prophet Isaiah predicting the coming of a light. But in this prediction, he is not just talking about a generic light, like these lights that are illuminating the sanctuary. He is predicting the light. Jesus coming into the world to redeem and to restore what was broken by sin. Jesus is the light that Isaiah speaks of. In fact, if you move all the way into the New Testament, the very first book of the New Testament in Matthew 4, Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, right? You remember he spent many years preparing for this about the age of 30. His earthly ministry is getting underway. And it says that Jesus actually went to the same area that Isaiah speaks of at the very beginning of chapter 9, but in chapter 9 of Isaiah, this same area was in contempt, right? The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephalti. So that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah back in, in the Old Testament times about what Matthew is talking about here in chapter 4. Matthew actually quotes Isaiah from chapter 9 in his book. And, and this is the connection that's being made here. The light was Jesus. He is the one that would break the darkness. He is the one that would break the anguish. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. 
God is sending a light to vanquish the darkness for those who would believe. Here's the second thing I want to invite you to see this evening. Trusting in God always leads to spiritual light. Now look with me if you would at verse 6. Isaiah is going to continue to press that idea down even further with some amazing um, like gospel specificity. He's going to predict four ways that Jesus is going to be the kind of light that you and I need. And, and some of you may need all four of these tonight. Some of you may just, one of these may, may be the one that for you is just really, really um, pointed. It, it hits home. But I want you to see the beauty of, of what, what Isaiah does here as he's predicting the, the light of Jesus. He, he says, a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, which is another way of, of saying that, that in Jesus there's coming a, a good and benevolent king whose bring, a kingdom brings spiritual peace. But then he shares four titles uh, or ways to think about this coming Messiah that just really drills home how astounding the gospel promise is. So let, let these sink into your heart this evening. First, it's wonderful counselor, right? We said earlier that God's people in this time of Isaiah were looking for answers horizontally. And the search for answers horizontally actually led them into deeper darkness. They're seeking counsel horizontally and it's moving them into deeper darkness. Here's where we see the beautiful promise that Jesus is the one who can answer our questions. He is our counselor. And here's what that means. It doesn't mean that we don't turn to the wisdom of God through trusted spiritual brothers and sisters and counselors. John and Elizabeth have served us so faithfully over the years. Uh, so many of you have been trained by them and you're doing the same uh, in our, our church. We're so grateful for you. But here, here's what I think Isaiah means by this. In Jesus, there is ultimate wisdom. There is always wisdom for your hurt. There is always wisdom for your confusion, your searching. And we're all tempted, I am too, to, to, to start that search for answers horizontally with earthly voices first. But I, I think what Isaiah is trying to remind us of here tonight is that that our searching for answers, searching for counsel should start with him. We need to turn to Jesus in prayer. We need to turn to the words of Jesus in the scriptures. In other words, we're not neglecting what God has given to us for eternal wisdom and comfort. God's people in this time of Isaiah were, were looking first to earthly voices. And honestly, those earthly voices weren't even connected to God, right? Actually, I think that's part of the challenge for us is, is to say, like, if we're listening to other voices, who are those voices connected to? Are they connected to the one true living God? If so, it's worth listening. It's worth taking that counsel. But if not, we should be very, very slow. But the first title here, Wonderful Counselor, for some of you may be very uh, meaningful tonight because you're looking for answers. 
Maybe you're peeking over the fence of Christianity, trying to figure out this Jesus thing. And the promise that this scripture wants to say to you is you can know that you know before you walk out of these doors tonight that the answer that you're looking for that can be resolved like right away is the one of of, of the spiritual uh, need that you have. Jesus is the answer for you. But for many of us, we are hurting, we're struggling with doubt, skepticism, we're searching for answers, we're confused. The good news of this particular part of the gospel promise is that, friends, in Jesus, you have a wonderful counselor. Turn to him, seek him. Second title, though, is important for maybe some of you tonight, and it's the the title of Mighty God. Isaiah is predicting that one of the ways that that Jesus is going to be able to serve his people is by being a mighty God. This is actually a title of the Lord himself. Like, what does it mean, though, for God to be mighty? Well, it means that when you're weak, he is strong. It means when you are weary, he can be powerful for you. But don't mistake this for human power. I think sometimes when we talk about the strength of God or the power of God or the might of God, we impose upon him the kind of strength we think about humans having. But this, we're talking about omnipotent might. We are talking about supernatural power. 2 Peter 1.3 says it this way, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to this life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Romans 1 calls His power an eternal power. Friends, this is no ordinary power. It is a power that is made perfect in your weakness. So if you're here tonight and you're weary, if you're here tonight and you are are weak, take, take what Isaiah actually says later in his book here when he says he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Take that as a promise. Rest in that. Believe in that. Weary one, you have a strengthener. A mighty God who is in your corner, rest in his power, rest in his might. The third title that Isaiah says, this is one of the ways that Jesus is going to serve his people is he is going to be the everlasting father. Think of it like this. What should a father be? Among many things, a father is a loving and caring and serving protector and provider. Some of you didn't have that kind of father growing up. But that is exactly the kind of father that you have in Jesus. And as we think about the bad news of our passage today, Jesus relates to us unlovely in our sin with the love of the father for his children. A love that will never let you go. A love that can never be broken, an everlasting love. Some of you need to receive that love tonight. You feel unloved. You feel unwanted. You feel undesirable. Here is Jesus who is extending his unconditional fatherly love to you. So receive it freely. Come running to the welcome arms of of Jesus and receive a love that will never let you go. It's there for the taking. 
Lastly, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah is saying one of the ways here that that Jesus is going to serve his people as the light is that he is going to be your Prince of Peace. Again, when Isaiah says that the government shall rest upon his shoulder, he's saying that the coming light, the coming Messiah, is also coming to give us spiritual peace. He's coming to give us spiritual peace as the Prince of Peace. He's coming to give us shalom, as the scriptures uh, translate peace, that speaks about the way things that ought to be. Like, this is how things should be, but now they've been marred and broken by sin. And you remember part of our theme tonight, you and I were once hostile and alienated from God. We were walking in darkness, moving towards this anguish, but he has made peace, Jesus, by taking in himself the judgment that you and I deserved. How did he do that? By making peace by the blood of the cross. God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself so that today in the gospel, Jesus can speak the same word to us that he spoke to the disciples that night in the upper room after his resurrection. Do you remember what Jesus said? Do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Friends, this is what Jesus, the light, gives us. This is what Christmas is all about. He gives us wisdom. He is the wonderful counselor. He gives us strength. He is the mighty God. He gives us love. He's the everlasting father. He gives us rest. He is the prince of peace. This is the light that Isaiah is predicting here in Isaiah 9. And the light that John says in John chapter 1 has come in Jesus as the true light, giving light to all who receive it. Actually, later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, that Jesus the light has shown his light into the hearts of believers to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Friends, because of Jesus, we never have to walk in darkness. We can enter the light by receiving the light, who is Jesus. See, friends, if if there is a God, if he was born as a baby, and he lived a perfect life, and he died for you, and he rose triumphant over the grave, and he is now seated on the right hand of the Father, and he's ruling all things, and someday he's going to come back, and we're going to rule and reign with him. If that's true, there's light. There is a light. But if that's not true, there is no comfort. There is no light. Like the promise and prediction of today's passage is this. A Christian has Christmas. The light has come. Don't deal with your problems the way that those who are rejecting God in Isaiah 9 do. You're being invited tonight to see the reality of Christmas and preach this gospel to your heart. God did become a child for me. God did die for me in the person and the work of Jesus. That must mean I'm now safe. I'm loved. See, for in Isaiah 9 is showing us that no matter 
how hopeless you think your case is, you are never beyond hope. God loves to go into situations that look the most hopeless, the most unlikely, the most unexpected, and do something miraculous. That's the message of Christmas. The world's a dark place. You guys know that, right? It's no mystery to you as you look around the world that we live in. But Christmas reminds us that the coming of the predicted Jesus shows us that no one and nothing is ever hopeless. The more you think about it, actually, the more that you believe that and get that into your soul, I I think more you will see the, the dawn of God's redeeming grace come over you and it will change you. You'll say, wait a minute, if, if this baby was born and this baby is God, it's not just a child, it's, it's, it's a redeemer, it's, it's my savior, he must be for me. Like he has staked his name, his character, his integrity on making me holy. But friends, in order for you to experience that kind of reality, for you to have what Christmas is really about dawn on you, you have to drop your blanket. You have to give up your pursuit of peace and security in earthly things, horizontal stuff, for the peace and security that is found only in Jesus. If you're in Jesus, the gloom and the darkness that is in you and around you can be dispelled. But you have to accept the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is the world is dark, but your heart is dark. But the good news of the gospel is that that darkness can be dispersed when you receive Jesus. You have to let the truth and the glory of Jesus, the light dawn on you. His strength, his love, his wisdom, his peace, it awaits you, but you have to receive it. Jesus gives it freely, but it is a gift that you have to open. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 5, verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The good news of the gospel, the good news of Christmas, friends, is if we will drop our blankets, come out into the light and receive the grace and mercy of Jesus and walk as children of light, we will get to experience the strength, the love, the peace, and the wisdom of Jesus, the greatest gifts that you and I could open up this Christmas. Let's pray together.